Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. I want to invite you to turn to the very front of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. We're embarking today on a new study series, Foundations of the Faith, and primarily we're going to be looking at the early chapters of the book of Genesis. And in this, I want to take us back to some of our core foundational biblical beliefs, our Christian beliefs specifically. And to do that, to begin with, we're going to turn all the way back to the very beginning, the very beginning of God's Word, the Bible, and to the very beginning of the dawn of time and matter and space in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll just look at verse 1 today. As a whole, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's a book that tells about how God has worked, the beginning of the work of salvation that he's still doing today. It tells about God's work among the Hebrew people. But in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, and in fact the name, the word Genesis, comes from the first few words of the book in the beginning. It is the book of beginnings. These early chapters of Genesis are a revelation about God, from God, and about all of creation. And that will be our primary source of study, these first three chapters of Genesis. You know, they lay a foundation that we need in our lives, a foundation about our understanding of the universe and all that is, a foundation about how God relates to us and how we are to relate to God in some ways, about human purpose and human dignity, about divine design for male and female. We learn about the brokenness that is in our world still today and the brokenness that is within even our own hearts and lives and many other foundations of our Christian faith. And so today in Genesis 1-1, we're going to contemplate some things. This is going to be a little bit different. You know, I suspect that many of you, many of those who will be watching online or watching later, were taught in biology or some other science class about Darwinism, about the theory of evolution. And it's possible that a science teacher or someone or a book that you read insisted that Darwinism and the theory of evolution offers incontrovertible fact, scientifically verified airtight explanations about the amazing variety of life on earth, that it all came from maybe a single being or a single cell or something like that. Likewise, and maybe another science course, earth science or something like that, or in the underlying subtext of some literature or discussion or documentary that you watched on the History Channel, something like that, or maybe in a discussion you have had, the origins of the universe were being discussed. That's the field we call cosmogony. Some call it cosmology, but in it, you probably encountered something. It would be the prevalent view, the prevalent theory in science today about the origins of the universe. You probably heard of the Big Bang Theory, which usually proposes, now not everyone agrees, and we're going to find that that is an issue, that not all scientists agree on everything, believe it or not. But maybe in the Big Bang Theory that you've heard about the singularity, that is, that everything in all of the universe can be traced back, theorized to something. Well, what is that something? Many scientists would say it's the singularity. And this is scientific orthodoxy by and large today. Many times, scientific theories and ideas are put forth 
whether they're the latest and the greatest or they're the kind of lasting, predominant theory that's out there, they're put forth as irrefutable fact. When in fact, they often, many times, are not. Sometimes scientists will put forth some facts or theories and just because they came out of the scientific community somewhere, we are led to believe that they are always answers that are superior to other realms of study, such as theology or religion. Thus, many of you, like I, have been caught in the crosshairs or in the crossfire of these discussions, and sometimes we as Christians are led to shrink back or excuse ourselves from the conversation Maybe we don't feel like we have enough information to join in that conversation. And I was thinking back, all the way back to, I think I even remember it happening in elementary school, but I certainly remember in junior high, it was one of those dreary days, you know, when uh, PE or recess or something had been canceled, I don't know, and we were stuck in a, a room, or maybe there was a tornado, I don't know, and we still had power, and we had to watch Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan and... The cosmos. And I remember the opening line. Well, actually, I remember the gist of it. I had to look it up. Here's what it says. What Sagan would say. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. The cosmos is all that ever was, is, or ever will be. And I'll tell you, I remember to this day sitting in my little chair as a little pipsqueak in that class feeling conflicted and confused because I'd been taught something quite different at home and at church about the thing or the being that has always been, always was, and always will be. But Carl Sagan, astrophysicist, whatever that is, Ph.D., professor at Cornell, and I remember being conflicted and confused because I thought, who am I? to argue with Carl Sagan. Who is my dad or my mom who never went to college? Who are they to argue with Carl Sagan? Who is my pastor who did play uh, college football? I knew he went to college. Actually, he had a doctor's degree, but I was pretty sure it wasn't in physics or astrophysics or anything like that. And I thought, what about my pastor? Can he argue with Carl Sagan? And so I just remember being conflicted and torn and confused. What I know now, folks, and here's an important thing that you need to know, is that scientists are nowhere near to the point of consensus on the questions of origins of the universe and how life came to be. I also have come to realize that there are scores of Christian scientists who disavow the notion that Christianity and even religion in general and science are necessarily at odds. There are those who would tell you that there is no overlapping magisteria or space in which really religious folk and scientists can have a discussion. I now recognize the limits of science to answer all of life's important questions. And there are many scientists who would confirm that as well. Listen to this. Christian Deduve. He says, he's a Nobel-winning biologist. He says, there is no sense in which atheism is enforced or established by science. Listen to Cambridge-educated philosopher of science, who is also a Christian, Stephen C. Meyer. 
He notes, many evolutionary biologists must admit that science cannot categorically exclude the possibility that some kind of deity still might exist, nor deny the possibility of a divine designer that masks his creative activity in apparently natural processes. Listen, my goal here today and my purpose is not to tout science nor to tear it down. Science offers us many great things. Science is a worthy pursuit. My purpose, though, today is to present the foundational Christian doctrines and beliefs about the origins of the universe. All right, not to tear down science, but I think there are some things that should be pointed out because science when I would say done wrongly or overstepping, confuses many Christians, especially young Christians, just like it did me back in my school days. We need to know that there are limits to the answers that science and the scientific community can validly give us, especially about the origins of the universe. So I want to point you to one article this is one interesting article. Jot this down if you'd like to read it. I'm sure you're going to be fascinated by this. It's an article in the Scientific American dated September 14th, 2022, so very recent. And it's about the James Webb Space Telescope. This new telescope that has replaced the Hubble Telescope. How many of y'all have heard of Hubble? Okay. How many of you have heard of the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope? Man, y'all got to get out and live a little bit. You'll need to read a little bit. And the article is called First Glimpses of Early Galaxies Could Break Cosmology. Especially of interest. Now this is a scientific article. It is not trying to argue in and about religion. It's about scientific understanding of the universe. Of the cosmos as Sagan liked to speak of. And what's especially of interest to me as I read the article and I was thinking about this message is that the scientists clearly admit that there are huge gaps in our scientific understanding of the universe. And that scientific understanding, listen to this, is continually shifting based on the data and the interpretation of the data. Now that should not surprise you, though for some of you it will. Because as I said, sometimes... Science oversteps, and scientists, doing it wrongly, overstep. And act as though what they're saying has always been what is believed and always will be. And so that article, a scientific article, I think helps us understand that scientists are still developing ideas. And we are still, and we will never be able to plumb the complexities and the beauty of the universe and all that God has made. But one scientist in this article says this. Listen to this. Current canonical scientific beliefs about cosmology are wrong and require revision and probably not a small change. It is more likely that the early universe is different than we expected. So because the James Webb Space Telescope is now bringing back images of infrared light, a faraway, long-ago galaxies. You know what the scientists are saying? We've had it wrong. We need to revise in large measure what we understand. Now, there are those that are disagreeing with that. I'm getting to Genesis 1-1. Hang with me. 
The closing paragraph in this story, I think, sets the stage for us well for what we see in Genesis 1-1. And here's how it closes. The question that's being posed by all that's being seen and interpreted is if we can truly believe what we are seeing and is it time to reappraise our understanding of the dawn of time we're peering into the unknown. In other words, we've had a bunch of this wrong. Our knowledge is gapped and incomplete. We're having to reevaluate everything that we believe as, let's just say this, secular scientists about the dawn of the universe. I closed that article and drank my coffee in peace. Because for the Christian, these paradigm shifts that are being offered and being changed about the origins of the universe. As I read that article, and no matter, I think, what I see from the James Webb Space Telescope, it's not going to change my understanding of the origins one bit. I think some of that stuff is beautiful and fascinating. But listen, it didn't alter what I understand at this point in my life, what I have come to believe. I have concluded in my life and through my own personal study and through my walk of faith, based on what the Bible says, but also based on what I have observed. And some of this is talking with people, some is, is knocking on certain doors and, and struggling and scratching around, but I have concluded that there is not now, nor will there ever be, a better or clearer explanation of the vast natural realm of our universe than we find in Genesis 1.1. And here is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Origins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if we're going to do Bible study right, we need to say, who was the original um, community that received this book? As it's being written, what is the background? What is the setting? Well, the book of Genesis is given first and foremost, but it's also for us today, but it's given first and foremost to the Hebrew people by God through Moses. Most people hold to Mosaic authorship of the book of Genesis, but listen to this. Here are these ancient people, the Jews, the Hebrews, and they live in and among all kinds of other peoples who have all sorts of ideas and beliefs and creation stories and notions about God. I think that sometimes we think that all ancient peoples basically believed in the beginning one God created the heavens and the earth. And that is not so. The Hebrew people had heard all sorts of creation narratives and stories just like you have. And just like I have. For instance, it's interesting to look at these ancient beliefs. Many were polytheists, that there are many, many gods. And many of these ancient creation stories are about the battles and the struggles. Sometimes the sexual escapades between gods. And that has spilled over to the earth. There were many that believed people are the product of divine procreation and so on. And I won't get into those kinds of things. There are Far Eastern beliefs about the cosmological egg. Have you ever heard this one? 
sometimes attributed to India, sometimes to China, but the idea that the earth is actually a divine egg that is going to one day hatch into something more divine. All sorts of ideas and into that milieu of beliefs and different cosmological stories and we would say myths. We have this revelation from God through Moses to his people of the true divine origins of all that exists. Shockingly different, actually, than most of the ancient peoples in and around Israel in that time when these people first received this revelation. You know, so don't be surprised. Young folks, don't be surprised when you go out and you explore and you hear that there's all kinds of different creation myths and the Bible just presents one more. Don't be surprised because there are all kinds of stories. And there were when they received this revelation from God through Moses. There are people that poke at the Bible's explanation of origins by saying, well, actually, you know, the, 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 the Bible story, Genesis Early chapters are a whole lot like other stories that were floating around. And they'll look at other sources and they'll go, look how similar these things are. Yet with just slight differences. That should not rock your faith in any way. What I would say is anytime there's a true story to be had, there are also little false versions of it. They get a lot of the facts true, but change a few things for various reasons. And so actually when we read about that, these different stories that look very similar, I don't think we should be surprised or shocked about that. But listen, the fact that there are many false stories floating around does not preclude the chance that there is one that is true. Does that make sense? Just because there's all kinds of false stories doesn't mean that every story is false. There is a true story, and I believe we have it in the Bible. The Bible and our faith rely on revelation from God. And we're given that here. And so scientists and philosophers and people grope around for answers. You know, but when I think about the dawn of time, what I would tell you is there's, there's just no way to replicate what happened at the dawn, at the origin of our universe. So whose story are you going to believe? I'm going to believe the only eyewitness who was there. I'm going to believe that God knows exactly how he created all of the universe and that he has revealed it to us. This is the eyewitness testimony. And so this verse begins this way, in the beginning. Have you ever thought about the beginning very much? Most of us do this as kids before we have bills to pay and grandchildren to take care of or, or kids to put through college. You know, when we hit that philosopher stage in age and we're trying to unravel all of the mysteries of the universe in our eighth grade minds we think about I wonder what was before that and before that who created that how did that come to be how old is that we ask all of these questions in the beginning what was in the beginning is a great question we should ask that more but once you get it answered I'm not sure we need to continue to ask it how did all this begin? Did it all begin with a single, small, subatomic particle? Where did these gargantuan stars and multitudes of galaxies come from? How did all of this begin? You know, but these are not just 
pie-in-the-sky questions. What I would say is we get answers. We will have an answer to that somehow. It may be an incomplete answer. We may say, I don't know, and that becomes the answer. But we will ask these questions, and it will serve as a foundation of your life. Did you know that? It's like an operating system that is working in the background. We may not even be aware of it, but we're making decisions based on what we believe about where we came from and where everything else came from. So we want to know where did it all come from? What's out there in the heavens? What's beyond what the James Webb Space Telescope can see? What is the significance of the vastness of space? Man, we are just this small particle, it seems, in this massive, massive universe that we don't even understand how big it is. Is there life somewhere besides planet Earth? That's a fascinating question. We won't get into aliens today or any of that. Or probably not in this series. But we wonder, is this, could it be that this is the only place that there is life? Is there purpose to any of this? Or is it all random chance? Some sort of collision of unknown particles that created all of this. Is there purpose or is it just meaningless? So we should ask that question. And then we should ask ourselves this, where are we willing to go for possible answers? Are there any answers that we will exclude? Are there any domains in which we'll say, no, I don't think they can offer proper answers? And I think that this is a mistake that many folks who love science, who study science, who believe in science make. Many folks say that I'm going to adopt what's called naturalism. Naturalism. It's a philosophy or a system of inquiry that just basically says all the answers that we can count on or need can be found in the material world. Natural causes is all that we are going to allow. Naturalism, what it does is it brackets and it says the only thing that we're going to look at or only place we will look for answers is in the natural realm. So what it does is it, it, it excludes supernatural answers. It says, I'm not going to admit anything spiritual or anything that we couldn't verify with some sort of scientific inquiry or tool or technology. That's what naturalism does. And the problem is that you cannot find the cause for the natural realm within naturalistic philosophy. You can't find it. Because eventually... If you understand that everything that is came from something else, you will finally have to be backed into a corner and say, this is the first thing. But the only thing that I'm willing to say could be the first thing is some natural, materialistic thing. You get backed into a corner and you say, but I'm not going to look anywhere but in the natural realm. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're only willing to look in the temporal or natural realm. Is there some first cause that is an uncreated, uncaused thing or being? That is the question. 
Sooner or later, the naturalist is backed into the corner and says, I can't go any further. I come down to the singularity or this thing. Some of them say, we can't know what that thing is, but they will get back, back to that first cause because this cannot go infinitely back. If you believe that there was a beginning to the universe and life. And so what guys like Carl Sagan do is they basically say, I think the universe itself is the eternal thing. Well, the problem is, just after four or five decades, after Carl Sagan, most scientists would say, every piece of evidence, almost every piece of evidence we have about the universe screams and shouts that it had a beginning. That's why the Big Bang Theory has become, basically in the scientific community, orthodoxy. Because of all of the things that they're finding out there, it says there was, a, there was a beginning to all of this. Scientists chasing down the evidence today are coming very close to the same conclusion that the Bible gives us, which is there was a beginning. There was a beginning to every bit of this. And so Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, what? Or who? God. In the beginning, God. The classical argument for the existence of God based on this line of thinking that everything that has not always existed had to have come from something else. The cosmological argument is what it's called. It's trying to chase down what was that first uncaused cause. And Genesis 1.1 says, the eternal uncreated thing or one or singularity is actually a personal, powerful, infinite being, God. In the beginning, there was God. Before the beginning of space, time, matter, and energy, all of the things that physicists look at. In the beginning, before that, before the universe came to be, there was an eternal being we call God. That's what Genesis 1-1 teaches us. Man, I'm boring some of y'all to tears. Hey, welcome to science. <laughs> now listen to this. Think about this. We're already getting close to the finish line. Can you believe it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The foundational Christian belief, we're talking about foundations of our faith, the foundational Christian belief, by the way, uh, be making your way over to Hebrews 11.3 or jot that down. The foundational Christian belief about origins of the universe and everything in the created realm is that God, now we believe the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that comes from later revelation, but the New Testament is clear. Jesus was clear about his identity. The resurrection speaks about this. That Jesus is an uncreated person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit also. This says that God, so I would bracket triune God, created. Bara. That is a divine act. Only God truly creates. You heard about the atheists, right? That that uh, 
was trying to disprove God. And he says, look, I can do just what God does. I can take in a test tube and with electrodes this little bit of stuff and prove that there is no God by creating the things you say God created. And God says, hey, uh-uh, get your own stuff. Right? Get your own stuff. Only God can create ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's what it says here, that in the beginning, God created everything. The heavens and the earth, all of this matter, as only he can do. And you know what we can do as, as finite creatures? We can rearrange stuff. We can take stuff that God already made and do stuff with it. But that is not this kind of creation. You can create art, but you didn't create the crayons and the colored pencils and the paint or the paper or the trees that made the paper, did you? You can create, but not in this same way that God creates the heavens and the earth. I'll tell you, I don't think that sheerly naturalistic pursuits can ever get you to the point where it can adequately explain the amazing stuff and the amazing order. In fact, science itself, the fact that we can do experiments and they're repeatable and that we can look and we see the fingerprints of God in all of the wisdom and the order and the beauty of things, it just speaks against, to me, it speaks against this idea that this was all just some sort of random explosion that happened because there was enough time and nothingness. It just doesn't make sense to me. The order and the beauty and the complexity, in and amidst even much simplicity in the universe, to me, speaks of a powerful, wise, loving creator and designer. Science done right points you, actually, to God, not away from God. Hebrews 11.3, the foundational belief about what we believe about the origins of all that is. It says this, and it invites us what? To believe it. By faith, we understand that the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen has not been made out of the things that are visible. So in other words, there wasn't already this primordial soup and stuff that Elohim or the Hebrew God, the God of Genesis 1-1, said, well, you know, there's already this eternal stuff. Let me make something good out of it. This says that the worlds and all that is was not made out of things that already were. That's the ex nihilo, the idea that God made out of nothing the created realm. But I said science done right should point us to God, not away from God. What's the problem? Why are many scientists against God? Well, we've got problems in our heart. We've got pride problems. The human race is in rebellion against God. But Romans 1.20, another great passage to put in your margins, says this. And this speaks about what we would call natural theology. It is that in the created realm, there is a lot of evidence that should point us to God. So much evidence that we have no excuse before God to say, God, you just didn't give me enough evidence 
That's why I, when you stand before the Lord on judgment day, you will not be able to say, you just didn't give me enough proof. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. They is the people who shake their fist at God or deny his existence. It's the people that sheerly go after what they can see with their eyes in the natural realm and exclude the possibility of the creator God. Since the creation of the world, man, it's been evident. The fingerprints, the thumbprint of God is all over everything that he has made. The more we peer out into this amazing universe... Hey, I'm not upset they put the James Webb Space Telescope out and that scientists are looking at those pictures. It's awesome. You ought to look at that stuff. And they're looking and they're, they're just saying, man, there are things out there that we just have no clue about. And when I look at that through the lens of Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, there was only God. And by His Word and by His power and by His will, He spoke into existence, not just the earth, but the heavens. And the heavens are so much more and so much more wondrous and so much more complex and awe-inspiring than we could have ever seen. But we've seen enough. We have seen enough. If we're willing to follow the evidence, this universe shouts to us, look at the wonder, the amazing wonder of the Creator. Alec Alan Rex Sandage was a protege of Edwin Hubble. One of the 20th century's most noted and celebrated and respected and influential astronomers. Alan Rex Sandage was of Jewish descent, but he was an atheist. But he was a great scientist. And he studied under this man who invented what we call the Hubble telescope with his team. When Hubble died, Sandage took over that project. Sandage was studying and thinking about the Big Bang Theory, the idea of origins from this Big Bang. Listen to what he says. As he studies these things, he's in his 50s, at a point that he's very well learned, has all of these degrees, awards, has done these amazing things in science, and he becomes a Christian. And here's what he says about becoming a Christian in his 50s, a notable scientist. He said, the Big Bang is a supernatural event that cannot be explained within the realm of physics as we know it. Science can only take us so far in explaining the mystery of existence. Now, I'm not here to promote the Big Bang Theory. I don't want to get anybody all shook up about that. The point is that he looked at the evidence and he said, science and physics can only take us so far. And beyond that, there has to be a supernatural cause, a supernatural origin. And he studied the Bible and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you have this solid foundation? in your heart and in your mind and in your belief system 
that everything that is, including you, including me, came from the infinite, eternal, powerful, all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing God. That there was a time when creation was not and only existed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you willing, with an open mind, to follow the evidence back to the point where, like Sandage, you have to say, there is no other natural explanation. And the only thing that makes sense about the knowability of this universe, the orderliness of it, its immensity, immensity, complexity, and yet personality, causes me to believe and worship the Creator God. That's where it all came from. It had its roots and its design and its origins. All of this in the very mind and power, the will and the word of Almighty God. Would you bow with me today? I'm sure I have not in any way impressed you with any scientific knowledge. These quotes are just quotes. That was not my intent at all, was to confuse or try to impress anybody with any of this stuff. My point has been what I think the point of the Bible is, which is to say, will you believe, will you believe where the evidence truly points us to an eternal, infinite, personal God? That's a foundation that if you do not get that right, really, you're outside the bounds of the Christian faith. By faith, we must accept and understand what God has revealed to us, that He is the source of all that is. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, a long-time Christian, Sometimes our foundations erode and crack and get brittle. Would you allow the truth of this word to go down beneath the surface and to shore up your heart? Maybe you have shrunk back from these scientific discussions. Maybe you have seen some evidence. Student, maybe you're saying, I don't know, but my teachers and other people seem to be saying this. What I would say to you what do you say about the things that have been presented today? Will you believe where I believe the evidence ultimately takes us? Will you at least concede this? That science does not have every answer. Science changes based on the information given. What do you believe? In this time and in these weeks to come, our goal is to build a strong foundation, a firm foundation from the Word of God that you accept and receive and build upon by a personal faith and belief. These are not new ideas. God has given, to, given them to us long ago. Will you believe? In this time of response that we do at the end of our service, it's a time for you to reflect to pray, to do business with God. If you're here today and you want to profess Jesus Christ as your Lord, I'm going to ask you and invite you just to come up and let me know that. 
Do that publicly. Profess Jesus, the eternal Son of God, as Lord and Savior. Come to him. Submit and bow the knee to Jesus. Maybe you'd like to come pray in this time. Maybe you've got someone that you've been praying for for a long time. A friend, a spouse, a child, a neighbor. Who has not, not yet become convinced that Jesus is Lord. Maybe they're hung up on some obstacle. Like the things that we've talked about today. Would you pray for them? Pray that the Lord would reveal the light of his love and the truth of the word to them. Pray for their salvation. Whatever you need to do. If you'd like to come at this time, for any reason, you come. Do business with God. Do business in your heart. Lord, today we conclude this part of our service with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that you are a God who reveals the truth. That you've not left us without light. You've not left us without your word. That you have revealed the true origins of all that is. You've also not left us to go it alone in this broken world but you sent your Savior, Jesus. And so today, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you that you are not so far above your creation that you're not willing to step into it. And that in Jesus Christ, you have stepped into the very earth that you created, enrobed in flesh, come to lead us into eternity. So we praise and we honor you for your wisdom for the truth and for this reality that we could never come up with on our own. But you've done it. You've shown us and you've saved us. So help us as we grapple with these things to grow and to be firmed up and shored up in the difficult questions that we all wonder about. Lord, would you do something today and in the days to come amidst your people in this church? We're seeking you today and in the days ahead. Would you bring us to a greater knowledge and love and commitment to you? Would you help us to grow in our faith? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.